Good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, as uh, Madison said, it is the first Sunday in Lent, which is a season that the church has, um, well, practiced for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it's a time that we prepare our hearts for what it means to be resurrected with Jesus on Easter time. And unless we spend a season um, in a more how do we say this, uh, in, in, in a more purposeful uh, posture of repentance, a more purposeful posture of searching, a more purposeful posture of knowing who it is that we are, that we are yet dust, we are, we are created out of dust, and to dust we shall return, yet, yet, the life of Jesus and by the blood of his cross gives new life Uh, an eternal life into our dust. And so we celebrate that and worship that, uh, the Lord, for doing that for us this season. Um, And so welcome to the season. I hope that uh, things are off to a a good and meaningful start for you as we journey as a church through Lent into Easter. So today we continue our series, uh, uh, Evangelism Like Jesus, um, I didn't bring one up here, but uh, down at the welcome desk, uh, as you come into the church, we've got some swag for you, uh, some stickers, so put them on your water bottles, your, as we like to call them, the, the, the noisemakers in the sanctuary that always tip over while people are preaching. Sorry, a little dig here, but put them on your water bottles, put them on your skis, put them on your cars, Bernadette's got hers there today. Um, But we wanted that to be a blessing to you. And hopefully, uh, as this season is about evangelism, hopefully people ask questions. What what does evangelism like Jesus mean to you? Maybe you're in a coffee shop and someone asks you that question. Wouldn't that be marvelous? Uh, And then through this season, we are looking at Jesus. And what a marvelous, marvelous thing to do, truly. So we, we're going we're gonna to look and see how Jesus teaches and how he moves people towards himself as he moves himself towards people. And the three words uh, that kind of, uh, kind of structure this series for us, there are three words. Um, anybody know them? One, the first one starts with a P. Can I hear it? Anybody? Presence. What's the next one? Truth and Presence, truth, and grace. Say them with me. Presence, truth, and grace. Okay, very good. So we'll see the way that Jesus is ministering to people. We get this out of uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus came, came to be present with us and dwell among us, full of both grace and truth. And so uh, as we uh, look at Jesus today, if there's, if there's nothing else that you get out of today or from this series... My hope and prayer for you is that you would love Jesus more, that you would see him more, and that you would understand more that he loves you and that he is present with you. And through his word and through his people, we are being ministered to by truth and grace. So we want to be people that take that out to the world as well. So, um, another quick plug, uh, NAOS kids, if you're in our NAOS program, um, I, if either you're attending or even not, there's some sheets in the back that say Terra NAOS. There's 
color-coded for our three lenses um, that we look at at Terra Nova, Eternal, Internal, External. There's just a page for you to kind of keep track of your ideas um, as you listen to the sermon. And so when we're in NAOS, um, you can have some ideas to help generate our conversations as we do. So there's a bunch of these in the back. If any kids want to take these and use these, there's also folders that you can you can pin them in the folders and have these, take them with you, use them, go deeper in the word uh, together with us. So use those, please. Um, All right, so today we are going to jump in uh, to a passage that um, many of us know from Luke 10, uh, 25 to 37. This is found, this can be found on page 1032 in your blue ESV uh, Bibles in the pews if you want to look there. Um, but if not, open your Bibles, and I would ask if you are able to stand, please, for the reading of the Word of God. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's read. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is it written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered this correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell upon the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we know that in you uh, there's wisdom and there's peace and there's clarity. So I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would, you would meet, meet us where we are this morning, just as Jesus meets us where we are. Um, meet, meets the, the man in the story where he is. I pray that you would meet us where we are today and, and teach us. Teach us truth. Um, help us to know you better and to love you better and help us to serve you um, with just more confidence, but also just more love and understanding. So I pray that you do that work in us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. You all can be seated. All right, so big idea this morning. 
It is on the screen. Thank you, Amber, for getting that in. I didn't actually come up with a big idea until about 8.30 this morning. Um, Because the simplicity of this message needs to stay that way. It needs to be simple. But as we look at Jesus, we'll see that the things Jesus says are extremely simple, yet they're extremely infinitely profound. Amen? So we want to stay as simple as we can with this message, but to probe into our hearts and see what Jesus has to say to us this morning that is profound for us. So the big idea today is that the love of Jesus can transform our hearts into radically loving and serving others that are as far from our comfortable circles as we could ever imagine. Okay, this will hopefully make more sense as we go through. So the first thing that we hear in this passage is this man, this lawyer, saying, what must I do, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this question was actually a popular question in the first century. It would have been pretty normal for people in the temple and people in religious uh, places to, to ask this of rabbis. This was pretty normal. Now, this lawyer wasn't the way we think of a lawyer today, um, Losi and Ganji, or, or uh, who's the 444-444 guy? Is that William Matar? Um, but anyways, this guy was a lawyer, but he was a, he was a lawyer of the Mosaic Law, of the Torah. So he knew and understood the scriptures, front and back, upside down, backwards. Okay, he was actually probably, scholars say, with this title of lawyer, he was probably the, um, he was probably a, a high-ranking scribe. So it was his job to, to learn, to copy, and to distribute the law. So he knew it really well. And so Jesus meets this guy where he is. So this is the first... Uh, evidence of Jesus having presence with this guy. Um, He went to a space where this guy was comfortable. He went to a place that this guy understood. And so after this first question of what must I do to inherit eternal life, Jesus meets him where he is again, and he taps into his knowledge. He taps into his understanding of the scriptures. And so he says back to him, well, what does the law say? In other words, based on your knowledge, what do you think about that? It's always better for us to come to conclusions when people ask us questions than to be told directly. I mean, sometimes we need to be told directly, but often it's really helpful to be questioned and to come up with that information ourselves. So the lawyer answers well. He answers like somebody who knows the law very well. But he's, we can see from this passage that he's, that he's not really out for an answer. He's actually out to make himself look good. Now, Jesus knows. Jesus is God. He is omnipotent. He understands. He sees the heart of this guy. He's not falling for this line of questioning. And by the way, this really isn't the only time that people came to try to trick Jesus. We see that all through four, the four Gospels. We, we see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law coming to try to trick Jesus. So this is not foreign to him. And another, uh, another way that we see Jesus having presence here is he understood this group of people. He understood who the Pharisees were. He understood who the scribes were. He spent time with them, and so he understood their ways and their proclivities and their tactics. He's right there where they are, and he's understanding how to minister to them. And so the lawyer answers Jesus' question. He answers correctly. He says, you shall love the, the, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Okay, so this is where the story pivots. And this is where Jesus begins to impart truth and share truth to the lawyer. Now, I hope you see that Jesus is going to impart truth even though this guy really wasn't looking for truth, was he? If we're being honest, I think we see the heart of this guy. I'm not sure that he really is looking for truth because verse 29 says he was seeking to justify himself. Does that ever happen to you? You ever uh, uh, get questions from people maybe about your faith that they aren't actually questions, they're just trying to belittle you or to puff themselves up. They're not actually looking for truth. But Jesus, knowing this, imparts truth to this guy without him actually really knowing it or wanting it. It's, br- it's brilliant. So again, as I said, this is a, this is a message where we're, we're looking at how Jesus acts, how he loves us, how he imparts truth to us through grace. Okay, and so he uses story. He artfully uses words uh, to help us understand a deep truth. And he uses this, this a story, the Good Samaritan story, which is famous now the world over, maybe probably one of the most uh, famous stories that, I, that anybody knows through time and space. And it was a story meant to teach truth, but filled with grace. It was by grace from Jesus that he didn't just steamroll this guy and say, I don't have time for you. Here's the truth bomb. See you later. I know you're prideful and just stick truth in his face and then walk away. Jesus doesn't do that. He encourages this man's faith by imparting truth artfully through story. Pastor Daniel is always saying in the office, preach for faith, preach for faith. And he he gets it from He says that because Jesus says that. Preach for faith. This is how Jesus acts and works. So today, we're seeing Jesus preach for faith to this man. Okay, so the first question I want to uh, to encounter this morning is, who shall I love? So that should be the next slide. So who shall I love? That's kind of the point of this parable. Okay, it's not, it's not, should we love? I mean, the, 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 the lawyer was very clear with that from the, the Shema, with the famous prayer and scripture from the, from the Torah. We're supposed to love, but the question is who? And so we're going to do a very quick overview of this parable. The parable isn't really the point today. It's not really the focal point. It's the fact that Jesus uses stories. He uses this way, he uses parable to artfully Help us see truth and grace. And this parable, as I said, is, is pretty simple. It goes along with the golden rule, which we all know is treat others how that you would want to be treated, right? But the beauty of this story is not reminding us that we ought to love people. That's pretty self-explanatory. It artfully serves to teach us who we should love if the love of God is truly in us. It serves to break down walls of class, race, affinity, culture, or just maybe comfort, to see those who we are called to serve. So, 
I do, I mean, I do want to do just a quick fly-through, so a two-minute fly-through of, of this parable for some of you who might be new to this. The setting here is it's on a 17-mile road from Jerusalem to Jericho, super dangerous, through the desert. There's, there's a lot of switchbacks and turns and caves and places for bad guys to hang out in. It was infamous. Often, if you were a richer person and you were traveling this, this road, you would bring armed guards with you. I mean, it was, it was a bad place to be. Um, th- so that's kind of the setting here. And the characters, we have uh, the guy in the ditch. Um, he's naked, bleeding, dying. He's probably a Jew. It would make the most sense if he was. But it's actually significant here that he's stripped of his clothing. Because there, there's a, metaphorically, he's kind of stripped of any identity. So we actually don't know who this guy was or his race or anything like that or class. Um, and it's actually besides the point who this guy is. And so it's significant in the story that he is essentially classless and raceless. Okay, so the next, sto- uh, next par- person we see in the story is the priest. Um, he is an upper class, important, authoritative teacher of the law. And then we have a Levite who is also a priest, um, but he's, he's not at the same uh, echelon as the priest. He's a, an, an, under, an, an under subject of, of the priest. Um, and then the Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans, most of you probably understand this, but I'll just reiterate. The Samaritans were cultural and racial enemies of the Jews. Okay? There's a lot of hatred between these groups, and it just went back forever and ever and ever. You would have grown, as, as a Jew or a Samaritan, you would have just grown up to hate these people. That's just was in your lexicon, that's in your mind, that's just what you did. Um, and... Uh, there's, a, there's actually a story here. I know the hatred was on both sides, but there's a famous story of a, a group of Samaritans um, breaking into the temple in Jerusalem. And not only was their presence there, because they, they weren't Jews, not only was their presence desecrating the, the temple, but they took a bunch of human bones and scattered them all through the temple. So not only did they desecrate the temple, but they made it unclean and so nobody could go there for a few weeks. Right? So like this kind of hatred... Okay. Again, it was two. It was it was two sided. They didn't associate with one another. They didn't help one another. They downright hated each other. And it's still going on today. Okay. The the conflicts that w- that we've seen uh, always and most recently in in Israel and Palestine. Palestinians are actually, if you look. At his, historical documents, Palestinians are actually um, descendants of Samaritans. So th- it's still going on today, okay? Hate does not die easily. So hopefully you get the gist of who this guy was and how antithetical to any sort of help or any sort of interaction there was there. Okay, so the plot here is pretty simple. The priest, both the priest and Levite, they see the guy but they cross the other side of the street and they keep walking. Um, they were actually obligated by law in their position. They were actually obligated to help this guy. Um, either if he was dead to ensure that he had a proper burial, but if they touched a dead guy, then they would uh, be ceremonial, ceremonially unclean and they would be out of work for a couple of weeks. I know it sounds like I'm making light of this, but I'm just trying to get us through. Um, and, if they, and if he wasn't dead, they had the burden of getting him the correct care. They're actually obligated by the law, as administrators of the law and teachers of the law, they were obligated to do these things. But they didn't. 
And the way the story was told here uh, is, is quite interesting. Jesus actually plays on our expectations. So the first priest, he's like the top echelon guy. And then the Levite is kind of the middle echelon guy. And then you would expect a Jew, like a working class, like a lower class, working class Jewish guy to come along and to be the mensch in the story and to pick the guy up and take care of him. But it's not that. It's the most unlikely person, the Samaritan. Some guy who had, according to race and culture, had zero obligation to do anything to this guy. In fact, it would, have, it would have been looked down upon for him to have any dealings with someone from a different race, especially a Jew, if this guy, in fact, was, which he probably was. And he, heals, he helps heal the man right on the spot. We're reading from Luke. Luke was a physician, so we see a couple of little details. Oil and wine wrapped his wounds, okay? Um, in a pinch, oil and wine. Put it on your boo-boo. Um, apparently, it was, a great, it was a great way to take, uh, take impurities out and things like that. But he takes a guy, puts him on his donkey, goes to the, goes to the inn, buys him a room. It's probably about 300 bucks. Um, buys him a room and says... If he needs any more help, I got to go. I'll come back, but I'll pay. So he sees the help to the end. He doesn't just throw the guy uh, in the end. He actually sees it to the end. He completes the job. So the beauty of this story is that Jesus is imparting truth to the lawyer in this story. He's imparting truth pointedly, but he's doing it through story. He's preaching for faith in this guy's heart. He's not just filling the guy's mind with knowledge and understanding and the right answer. He's probing down to his heart to understand what true love from God actually means. So the question that was being asked by this lawyer wasn't if he ought to love, but who. And we do see that he, in fact, does get it. In verse 36, he said, when he asked, Jesus asked, so who was the neighbor? And the man said, the man who showed him mercy. So he does get it. Jesus successfully imparts truth to this guy in an unexpected way, in a beautiful way. And the guy does see, the lawyer does see, that the person we are called to love is the one who is, in fact, most opposite most inconvenient, most out of our sphere, most out of our comfort zone. Of course we're called to love those within our spheres. But the love of God calls us to extend that to people who are the most difficult. And the hard part of this story to understand that the person we are called to love and care for is really the Samaritan. That's the hard part for us to understand. The easy part would have been, oh, we need to love the guy in the ditch. Yes. But the more profound truth in this story is that we're actually called to love the Samaritan. Big idea again, okay? If we have the love of Jesus in our hearts, it will transform us into radically loving others, loving and serving others, that are as far from our circle as we could possibly imagine. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can and we ought to love the Samaritan in our lives, whatever that means for us, and all the messiness that comes with it. Okay, so I'm talking about some zones of comfort. What is that? What what do I really mean by that? How about our church family? This is a comfortable place. 
Met some new people this morning. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Hopefully this is a comfortable place for people, either seeking Jesus or following Jesus together. This is a zone of comfort. What about your schools? Whether it's public school or private school or private Christian school or private classical Christian school or homeschool, we're all in schools. We're all in different zones of comfort when it comes to our schooling. What about our families? Your kids, your parents, your grandparents, your nieces, nephews, cousins, families. Those are zones of comfort. Your friends, people you know and love, people you ski together, people you play chess together, people you, I don't know, hang out together. Um, Your tribes, our small groups here at Terra. These are places of deep intimacy and fellowship. So Jesus is teaching us today, listen, that loving the way that he does will at times compel us to disrupt these zones of comfort. But hear me, okay? I want to be careful here. Hear me. We don't also want to just burn ourselves out and neglect the people that God has given us direct responsibility and relationship with, okay? The love of God also informs us to create places of intimacy uh, and, and relationship. And so we do have to uh, have wisdom to guard those, those places and to have those places be good places of fellowship and of regeneration and things like that. But we need to be willing to let those comforts and those familiarities within those groups go at times. Quick story about Matt in junior high. Um, when I was in junior high, I was a part of, I was like number one church kid. So I was like, I was like gym class hero, but I was like church kid hero. Okay. I did all the right things, said all the right things. I had a great church to be honest. I really did. Um, so I was part of Christian service brigade. Some of you guys know what that is. It's boy scouts for Christians. Pretty, you know, it's great. Um, so we had Christian service brigade, we had youth group, we had choir, we had all the, all the things, all the clubs. And I had a kid his name was Eric, uh, and he was, he was kind of a friend of mine, but he kind of came from a broken home. He was not a Christian. Came from a broken home, was a little bit rough around the edges. I remember his dog smelled really bad. I don't know if that means anything for the story, but he had this mangy dog. Like, I grew up in the suburbs, so when you found somebody that, like, had a little bit of property and, like, a mangy dog, you're like, well, they're hicks. Now I live in the woods with a mangy dog, too. But anyway, but it serves to show you he was a little bit dirty for me in my comfort level. And goodness, I haven't thought about this in probably 20 years, but I'm getting emotional because there there was a point at which Eric knew that I was class A Christian guy. And he was like, I would love to come to your youth group. I would love to come to your Boy Scout thing that you call a Christian service brigade. And I... I remember it like it was yesterday. I told him, no, that would be too complicated. Like, I don't know how your mom's going to drive you there, or my mom's going to drive you there, or pick you up, or like, it's too out of the way, and da-da-da-da-da. I totally dodged this guy. Completely. Because, because it would have disrupted the comfort that I had with my friends my church friends, my family. It would have completely destroyed that. I would have had this kit hanging around. I would have had to explain to my friends, like, 
Sorry, he smells a little bit, and he's from a broken home, and he's got a mangy dog. Um, But I was really concerned about disrupting this beautiful insular community that I had created. Okay, so, so take junior high, Matt, and apply that to us now. Because we all have places that we are unwilling, at times, if we're honest, we don't want to disrupt. Again, there's wisdom in deciding, like, how often you throw a bombshell into your living room, okay? So there's wisdom and discernment that. Talk to your tribal leaders, talk to your friends, talk to your pastors. We'll help you navigate those things. But the person we are called to love is the Samaritan in our lives that will disrupt and will shake up the comfortable, nice feeling that we have in these groups of, 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 um, of affinity and, and whatever else, okay? So let's, turn the, let's flip the switch to our last uh, movement here, and that's how are we to love, okay? Pretty clearly, Jesus tells us who. So how are we supposed to do that? Like practically. And I think the first, if we want to look at Jesus and we want to keep him the focus, the first thing we need to do is open our eyes. All through the Gospels, we see this beautiful sentence over and over again. Jesus saw them. Jesus saw them. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Mark 10, 21, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. John 19, 26 is when Jesus is on the cross. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Okay? But it's not just seeing, it's seeing and having compassion. Okay, the story said that the priests, the priests and the Levite, they saw the man, but they kept walking. The Samaritan saw the man and had, help me out, saw the man and had compassion. Very good. So just seeing the needs around you is step one. Maybe compassion is step two. Maybe it has, to, it has to come along later. But really step one is to open your eyes. Look around. Look at people's faces. And can I just say, I feel like, uh, I feel like the Apostle Paul here, when, when he says in 1 Timothy uh, that Christ came to save sinners of whom he, he called himself the foremost, okay, in terms of being somebody like addicted to their iPhone, I might be the foremost offender here. So this is as much for me as it is for you. But let me just tell you, put your phone down more often. Just more often. Just decide to walk around with it in your pocket instead of in front of your face like I usually do. Trying to cut way back on social media, like Lent is a great time for that, like Fast from your, from your phone in some ways. That's a wonderful opportunity. I've seen how much this tiny glowing box distracts us. And actually how doesn't, it, it prevents us from really engaging and seeing needs in front of our faces. Okay, the text can wait. The box from Amazon always comes. Okay, that, that post about your friend's amazing and perfect sourdough loaf that they made in their farmhouse kitchen where they're beautifully manicured children. Like, it's not true, okay? 100% not true. And don't get, 
<laughs> don't get upset about it. Open your eyes and see people around you. I don't know how that Instagram post came so easily out of my I'm just I'm preaching preaching to you guys today. All right. But Jesus wants wants our eyes to be windows into our hearts, as Proverbs thirty seventeen says. And if we're so distracted all the time, we will miss people. We will miss people that need to be served. We'll miss facial expressions. We'll miss nuance in people's words. And don't buy those new Apple goggle things. They look stupid and they're dumb, so don't buy them. Sorry to anybody who's bought those. Send me an email later and I'll tell you why I'm right and you're wrong. Um, And you waste some money. Okay. Sorry. Using our eyes is step one, but asking the Holy Spirit to change us for the compassion piece, that's a piece that we need to do. Okay, Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion. Jesus did his ministry at three miles an hour, which means he walked, and without a phone in his pocket, okay? If we are to see the needs of our communities and to be moved into compassion, especially those who are hard and inconvenient to love, we have to look at hard things. And we need to ask Jesus for wisdom and how to act. And we need to ask him for his compassion. All right, so use your eyes. And then number two, get dirty. Jesus' ministry was dirty. Just like the Samaritan who lifted this bloody and bruised guy up onto his horse, or donkey, sorry, not a horse, donkey. Um, Like, you get dirty doing that. I don't know if you've ever cleaned up blood before. It's really sticky and messy and gross. Sweat, it's awful. It rubs off on you. But Jesus uses this story because this is something that he embodied. He never tells us a story about something that he himself did not do or embody. We have to have enough presence, if we are to bring truth and grace to people, okay, we have to have enough presence with them, that we have to, we have, to have enough presence in order, in order to touch people, to understand them, and to have us connected with them. Don't ever underestimate the power of a hug or a handshake, all right? Jesus touched people. He got dirty doing the work of ministry. Matthew eight fourteen, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law uh, lying sick with a fever. You ever touch someone with a fever? Ugh. Gross. He touched her. And the fever left her. Okay, verse 2 out of chapter 8 in Matthew. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. Lord, if you will, can you make me clean? And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. That was not only like taboo, it was a really bad idea to touch people with leprosy because you could get it too. Like really bad. But he touched him. Jesus, uh, in uh, verse 4, chapter 8, Jesus rose from supper. He laid out his, um, I'm sorry, John 13, 4 to 5. Um, John, uh, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he re- tied it around his waist and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Those feet were really gross. Poop and sweat and dirt. Okay? Really gross. Serving people means getting dirty. 
And this series being evangelism like Jesus means that if we are to evangelize, we are desiring people to follow Jesus. And part of following Jesus is following his call to repentance. And how are we to do that unless we are willing to get dirty in helping people? Having them disrupt our lives. Having them inconvenience us in all the best ways. Now, Jesus had a platform to call people to himself because he was willing to get dirty serving them in their places of business, in their homes, in their places of pleasure. He was willing to do that hard work. He was in with the sick. He was touching undesirable people. He was touching dangerous people. He was around demon-possessed people. He was hearing people's problems and fears and sins. And hear me, I'm not saying we only get dirty by being around blood and sweat and tears and guts and stuff like that. There are ways to get dirty by just listening to brokenness in people's lives. Like, man, maybe you're not, maybe you're not have to take a shower, but like, that's burdensome to take people's darkest, deepest sins Take them upon yourself to listen to their broken marriages or failed attempts at life or their inner deepest secrets and darkness. And when we're in those moments and we're feeling a little bit like this is too much, this is pretty dirty and pretty broken, and when we say maybe we're unqualified or we're overwhelmed at the task of loving these people and their brokenness, I think we're actually in the right place. Because in our, in our weakness, we make room for who? All the answers are right at this point. Jesus. We make room for Jesus. We make room for the Holy Spirit. We make room for his grace. We make room for all of these things. So whether it's physical grime or spiritual grime, loving the way God calls us to love will mean that we need to get messy in the work of ministry. And our big idea this morning is the love of Jesus can transform our hearts into radically loving and serving those that are as far from our comfortable circles as we could imagine. A uh, quick plug uh, for the care portal. Some of you are, know what that is. It's a, it's a tool we use uh, with, our, with our tribes to find uh, local need um, people who are in and out of the foster care system. This is, a, this is an attempt to prevent children from going in the foster care system and, and parents and guardians who need extra help in order to keep their kids with them, which is always, a great, which is always the best idea most of the time. We didn't need to go into all the litigation of that, but we want to keep families intact. And so Care Portal uh, has the caseworkers throw out needs to local churches, okay? And our church is one of those churches. And so um, serving people outside of our zones of influence It's right there. It's a bombshell of an opportunity. It's actually really not that hard, and it's actually really amazing. Okay? And so uh, some of you have done this, and some of you have gone out of your zones of comfort. Some of you have gone into difficult situations. You've seen things that are hard to see, and you've smelled things that are hard to smell and touch things that are hard to touch. But keep at it. These are golden opportunities for us to love in the way that Jesus calls us to today. All right, guys, any of us are really close at any given time. We are pretty privileged, okay? All of us are very privileged in, in what we have in our resources and our friends and our family. Don't take that for granted. But addiction, 
homelessness, poverty, incarceration aren't that hard to fall into. And we have to know that these are some messy areas that we as believers are called into. And the devil loves, and I know this firsthand, the devil loves to make his way in through things like addiction, homelessness, incarceration, poverty. There's tons of broken people on our streets right now, uh, in homes, around our homes, tons of it. But Jesus calls us into these messy places. And just as the priests in the story were the guys that were actually, uh, they were required by the law to help this guy in the ditch, just as the priests in the story didn't do that work, okay, we're reminded in the New Testament that, uh, in the epistles, that you and I who follow Jesus, we are priests. Okay, First Peter 2.9, we are people that usher people in, other people into the presence of Christ. And so, in our communities, we operate as priests for the Lord. Okay, so this is part of the work we ought to be doing to serve him. So, so I just want to encourage you, keep at it. Okay, keep meeting needs in your communities. Pray for opportunities. It's amazing what God brings us when we ask him for it. Okay, and this is a perfect season to do this. The season of Lent, one, one thing that kind of gets overlooked, I think, sometimes is this idea of almsgiving or giving to the needy. Okay, this is a perfect season for us to enter into this territory. Maybe it's, I don't know, a simple idea of taking some cash out of the bank and just putting it in an envelope in a safe place, of course, uh, and setting it aside and just asking the Lord, who do you have me blessed with this? Even if it's 10 bucks. Okay, for some people, that's a, that's a big deal. Find opportunities. Maybe it's praying that the, the way that you drive to work or the way that you walk to the coffee shop or the way or the neighbors that live next to you, maybe it's praying for opportunities to serve these people that, that God might open your eyes to see needs that you didn't see before. Okay, and this is not a sermon to guilt anybody into doing anything. All right? Please don't hear me there. Guilt is for us, but conviction is for transformation. So if you're feeling today like, yeah, totally like the priest in the story, I crossed the other side and, okay, I've done it. Okay? I've done it. Too often. All right? So let's be built up by the love that Jesus has for us by seeing him here in the presence of his Holy Spirit, that his radical love in us would actually create more compassion in our hearts, and so that we would understand as well in the season of Lent as we're kind of probing down into our souls, that we would understand that when we were the most undesirable, when we were the most at odds with God, when we were the most vehemently opposed to anything God had to say, when we were the most yucky and bleeding and bruised and, and gory, Jesus picked us up. Amen? Okay? He picked us up. And he carried us to salvation. And so when we understand the love of Jesus... He can transform our hearts into radically loving and serving others that are as far out of our comfort zone as we could imagine. Okay? So I'm going to close with one word, uh, transform. 
All right, why didn't the band come up now as we go into a time of communion? I want to close talking about this word transform. The love of Jesus can transform our hearts. What does that mean? Well, it certainly can't happen apart from the Holy Spirit in us. We cannot live for Jesus unless we are filled by his Holy Spirit. We can do nothing apart from him. And so I want to remind us that if we are to see the needs around us, we are going to need compassion. That comes from the Holy Spirit. If we are going to get our hands dirty to do the work of evangelism and service, we need his Spirit to give us strength and power because it will require everything of you. Maybe it will require all of your energy and emotion to listen to somebody talking about how broken their relationship is with a spouse or a friend. Maybe it's like the 12th time that you've talked to somebody about this pattern in their life that's destructive and you're like, I, I just want to tell them off. It's going to take all of your energy by the power of the Holy Spirit who fills us back up and allows us to minister to people. It's going to take all of your energy to serve people who are difficult to serve, who have made awful choices and are in a cyclical pattern of of despair. It happens. It's real. Actually, some people in this room have lived through those seasons. And some people in, in this room can attest to people who did not give up on them, but gave their all right, by the fuel of the Holy Spirit, ministered to them and loved them and walked side by side through this, this life, okay? So if we are going to be priests of the living God, we need his spirit to move in us. All right, so we're going we're gonna to do a time of communion, and what this means, okay, is that we're reminded that Jesus died for us. He broke himself for us. He poured himself out for us, and this is a gift for us, that we would take it and it would fill us and it would be um, the intimacy at which Jesus desires to be with us is as intimate as food and drink on your lips, being in you and a part of you. And so I would just want to ask and pray that the Holy Spirit would, would, through this time of communion, through this intimate expression of God giving himself to us, That this would renew you, open up your eyes to compassion and action, not out of guilt, but out of an understanding of how God loved us when we were the most undesirable. So we're going to do that. The communion service can come down at this point. Um, And I want to leave us with, and then we'll hand it over to to Madison to lead us in some song of worship. But I want to leave us with 2 Timothy 1, 7-10. And I just want to encourage you to bow your heads. And listen to this, maybe open your hands. But in a posture of receiving, please hear these words. 2 Timothy 1, 7-10. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the gospel 
Share in the sufferings for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and now which has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And all of God's people said, Amen. We love you guys. Let's have a time of communion now.